Okay. So this morning we're going to start going old school in our movie references. So you got to think back. Have any of you ever seen the movie The Money Pit? I still love it.、Um, I actually probably need to rewatch it and see if I still love it as much as I think I love it. But、um, it is a 1986 movie with a very young Tom Hanks starring, and he stars along with Shelley Long. And they buy this house where they think it is this great deal, and that they are getting like this incredible、uh, cosmetic fixer-upper. For a steal of a price, and they actually only ever see the house by candlelight before they buy it.、Um, not a good choice. <laughs> and as the movie continues, you realize that this house is actually a disaster. That it basically needs to be completely rebuilt, and it falls apart before your eyes. Right at the beginning, right after they've bought it, the f- whole front door frame. Falls forward and falls off.、Um, the main staircase collapses with Tom Hanks on it. The plumbing is a disaster. The wiring in the kitchen catches the whole house, like whole kitchen, on fire. There, the floors of the second floor aren't supported correctly, and a bathtub comes crashing through the floor. The chimney collapses. There's a raccoon living there. They thought that there were some small problems. That could easily be fixed, and came to realize that the house was a total disaster. And I would suggest to you this morning that just like this house was a money pit, that we as humans are sin pits.、Um, many or most of the readers of Isaiah and many or most of the people in our world know that they aren't perfect. They get that. But they view themselves as kind of cosmetic fixer-uppers.、Um, I just need to fix these little things, but overall, I'm pretty good. And they really don't ever examine themselves or their intentions or their hearts, except by candlelight. <laughs> they can look pretty good by candlelight,、um, and they don't have eyes to see the true depth of their sinfulness. How big of a problem it really is in light of a holy Creator, and one of the things about the Bible and about this book of Isaiah is that it's going to take a spotlight, and it's going to show the big problem that sin is. It's going to show how it affects your relationship with God, how it affects your relationship with other people. It's going to show what a big problem you actually have. And it's also going to show us more about God and how holy He is, and how worthy He is, but how we are prone to forsake Him. He made us and He loves us, and yet we so often despise Him and despise His ways. In chapter two next week, we'll read, "O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord." So my prayer for us this semester and this year is that God would open our hearts to who He is, to what He cares about, and to how much we need Him. Okay, let's pray. Then we'll dig in some more. Heavenly Father, I love that You know us better than we know ourselves. There is no candlelight with You. You see clearly. 
You know us and you love us. We truly can come to you as we are with no need to hide. You have made a way to have us as your children. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for your love that sent him. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so one of the things we talked about in the leaders' meeting is it's always complicated to jump into the Old Testament. It puts you in this interesting dynamic of trying to figure out, how do I think about these things? And what about Jesus? And where does he fit? So I'm going to try and unpack that just a little bit here, this this first lesson. And because we have to remember this is the Old Testament. It is before the Savior. And one of the points of the Old Testament was to point us and to point them to the need for a Savior. The people of God had every opportunity. They saw amazing miracle after miracle and had prophet after prophet, and they were never able to be obedient over time. So even in this opening chapter, we see God saying to them that if they are willing and obedient, they shall eat of the good land. But if they refuse and rebel, they shall be eaten by the sword. It seems simple. Be willing and obedient. Just do it. And your life would be so much easier. But generation after generation would struggle to actually just do it. And as we look back on this, we may ask why God would continue to ask them to do something he knew they couldn't do. And I would say that it's a really important thing in the big picture view of God that over all of human history, we can look back and see that there was a sin problem. It wasn't just Adam and Eve who had a sin problem. It wasn't just Cain and Abel who had a sin problem. It wasn't just Isaac and Rebekah. It wasn't just King Saul. It wasn't just King David. It wasn't just the northern kingdom. Any way we humans tried to work it out on our own, it didn't work. Uh, The list could go on and on. And there was not one person born in all of this time that did not stumble and fall. And that their sins are like scarlet and red like crimson. They could have moments of faithfulness. But then there would be rebellion and pride and hurting other people and corruption, and vain worship, and bribery, and lack of caring for others, and turning to other gods, and turning to other things to meet their needs. One of the ways that this passage describes them, or us, before Christ, is as sick. And um, I had a stomach bug this last week, and uh, felt just horrible. (laughs) And everything ached, and everything hurt, and it made me take this sick language a little bit more seriously. I want you to think about the worst you have ever felt in your entire life. And that is the picture that God would use to show your spiritual health apart from Christ. And I wasn't even really that sick. So like this passage is like even sicker than that. And they're not even trying to get well. So you're as sick as someone can be and you're not even trying to get well. That's a problem. (laughs) That's a sin problem. We are not cosmetic fixer-uppers. We are sin pits. Uh, There's going to be some condemnations that continue to come in this book in um, 
that we can relate to. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. They run after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. The haughty looks of man, their lofty pride. The youth are insolent to the elder. They proclaim their sin. They do not even hide it. The spoil of the poor is in your house. They bow down to the work of their hands. Every mouth speaks folly. There is a book series called Twilight. (laughs) Yes, the teenage vampire one. Um, And yes, I have read it. Um, And in there, there is a character who can read other people's thoughts. And as part of the story, he never falls in love with anyone until this person comes along that he can't read their thoughts. And that makes total sense to me. Because if you could read my thoughts, there is no way you could like me. (laughs) Um... You can tell how much I need Jesus and how sinful I really am by the thoughts that spring out of my heart and run through my mind. Uh, The selfishness, the pride, the judgment, the um, overwhelming number of my thoughts only about myself, uh, and the lack of thoughts of others, and the lack of thoughts about my God. But these thoughts don't just say as thoughts. They pour out into actions. I lie. I manipulate. I dishonor my father. I dishonor my father and mother-in-law. I care more about your approval than God's. I think sometimes we have trouble kind of even grasping our own sin. But I think when we get to heaven and we see what perfect relationships look like, we will feel the weight of the destruction that we caused, the way that we hurt others. And I think we'll also feel the weight of the good things that we left undone, that we didn't do. And we'll feel the weight of how shallow our worship was, how little we understood this father and his holiness. So this book is going to talk a lot about sin. <laughs> um, and I want us to enter into that. To let that affect us. To let us see our own sin. To not just have the candlelight. But I think we have to process it differently even than they did in the beginning. So at first, we have to let it enter and affect us. um, That we have this major sin problem. That we need a Savior. But then second, we have a little bit of a different perspective. Because we have to realize that our Savior has come. It was proclaimed that we needed a Savior. He has come, and now we stand on this side of Christ. So we stand in his perfection. We stand in his righteousness. The more you can be honest about your sin, the more you can celebrate your Savior. The more you can be honest about your problem, the more you can celebrate that you don't have to be perfect 
you just have to have Christ. That it is not this trick and mirrors that you have to play for the world, but that Christ is who was perfect. Christ is who was willing and obedient, and I rest in him. All of their failed attempts to live a holy life made a way for God to send a Savior who would live without sin and who would live that life on our behalf. So as we process the sin, we have to rest in his forgiveness and we have to realize that we come to the Lord with no condemnation. But third, I would say we don't just stay kind of in Christ. Uh, you know, he, he works perfectly. We take that next step to say he lived perfectly and he would call me to in him move towards holiness myself. That just like the original readers, we have a continued need for change. Uh, we can look to Isaiah 1 as an encouragement to cry out to God in our sin. Just as God wanted to work through the judges and the counselors and their circumstances and his word to bring about transformation for them, he also wants to work in us to bring about transformation in us. Um, He wants to make us, as the church of God, righteous and faithful. He wants us to receive correction from him as a father. He wants us to not run from looking at our sin or just barely glance at it, but to let us stand totally safe, completely forgiven in Christ, and then to let him work repentance and incredible redemption. This contrast of the two cities, kind of before and after, that we would get to see those redemption stories in areas of our life where there's kind of before and after, Before I was so selfish towards this person, after Christ has worked his grace and mercy, and I'm now able to love them. Kind of that he would be able to, we would let him work these complete redemption stories in areas of our life and in our church. Um, And the opposite of that might be like Jeremiah 2, 31 to 32. Why then do my people say, we are free So we will come no more to you. Yet my people have forgotten my days without number. He makes us his children, and we can have the tendency to forget. And to be like, I'm good. I got this. I'm safe. Now I'll go my own way. But he would call us to let him change us, to draw into his ways. We have images of the faithfulness of God scattered throughout this first chapter. So I I think one of the things that was interesting about this is kind of what category do you put this God's soul hating their feasts and their condemn and their um and condemning their vain worship. And I was recently at a family reunion type event where as part of this we all had to go to church and there are several members of my family who don't normally go to church but they kind of had to go. And um, I felt like I, I could feel this trampling of God's courts. It, it almost made my stomach just uneasy. Um, one family member told me that they hadn't taken the Lord's Supper in 10 years, but now that they had, they just felt much better about themselves. And another family member put money in the offering plate, 
in a sense of almost appeasing God. Well, if I have to be here, I, I better do something for you. And I was already studying this passage. And whereas I think these are great conversation starters, um, there is something very offensive about doing a religious act that God created, but on your own terms and not God's. The point of the feasts and incense was not to make the people feel better about themselves so that they could just keep going on sinning. The point was to allow worship of God. The point was to allow right relationship with God. The point was to draw them towards the ways of God. Um, In Christ, my worship on Sundays gets to fall under his righteousness. He hears me. He does not hide his eyes from me. And even though I continue in my sin, he receives my worship. However, just like we talked about earlier, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to transform my worship. That doesn't mean that my worship on Sunday doesn't have sin in it. That doesn't mean that he doesn't want me to see that sometimes I'm just here on Sunday and doing my own thing in my mind. (laughs) That I can be in church and be forgetting God. He wants my heart and my head and my strength. He wants to draw me towards himself and towards his ways. He wants from me and for me a transformed worship. When we get to Isaiah 6 in just a few weeks, we will see Isaiah see God in his holy splendor. And he will say, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So we see here in chapter 1 that Isaiah calls God the Holy One of Israel. And he's going to use this title 33 times in this book. And every time we read this, we're supposed to stop and think of Isaiah 6. We're supposed to, and I probably will try and go read it every time, to actually stop and enter in. This moment of Isaiah with God changed him. To where then this was his title that he would use of him, the Holy One of Israel. And we we have to re-remind ourselves of who he is. Because we can forget and we can start to treat him as ordinary. Let, like them, we can let our silver become dross and our best wine be mixed with water. Titus 2.14 says, as we read in the lesson, Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. I I think it's amazing to me that even in the Old Testament, and, and despite what many people think, that God's heart for his people hasn't always been that you just wouldn't do bad. God has always wanted his people to be holy like he is holy and to learn to do good, to be zealous for good, to be zealous for him. The words used in uh, chapter 1, verse 17 are so active. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. Now then, Isaiah was speaking to a people who had a government, a king. So this makes sense as well at a leadership level that they 
had a great responsibility to these things, but we still can't miss the heart of God behind these commands. Our God loves good. Our God loves justice. Our God opposes oppression. Our God would have the fatherless and the widow and the vulnerable protected. So as the church collective and as individual believers today, these things need to be evident in us as well. And I would say what God commands is a posture of us moving towards these things, not just waiting to see if we see them. In those first days when he established a relationship with Abraham, he told him he would be blessed to be a blessing to others. You are to be a bringer of good. You are to be a bringer of justice. A bringer of freedom from oppression. We are to be like our God and like our Savior who move towards those in need. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. We are free. In Christ, we are free. But in our freedom, would we long for his light? Would we long for his presence and his ways? Isaiah is the story of a God who loves his people and wants good for them, but they keep choosing what they can touch what makes them happy in the moment. They are drawn to the riches of the world and they are so forgetful of their maker and of all he has done for them. Maybe this morning we each need to stop and hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. We have a father who wants us to live like we are his. How will we spend the rest of our day How will we spend the rest of our week? How will we spend the rest of our lives? In what ways will we pursue him and his ways and the things he loves? We would be lost if not for Christ. These stories make me very thankful for him. I am a sin pit and I need a savior. But I'm a sin pit being transformed day by day to love good to do right, to talk to God, to talk to him as much as I can today, to care most about what he thinks, to treasure Jesus's willingness and obedience when mine is lacking. Until the day where Isaiah 6 and the presence of God become our reality. That day is coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the Holy One of the church, and you are worthy of great praise. May the failings that we see in this book of these people and the failings within each of us point us to you and to your provision of a Savior. May we rest in Christ and his goodness and not need to trick ourselves that we're good on our own. We come to you, our Father, through the blood and righteousness of your Son, who was willing and obedient on our behalf. We can now learn to do good. Would you teach us and use us as your people here on earth? It is a comfort that you know this is something
that I have to learn. (laughs) Through your Holy Spirit and your Son, make us willing. In Jesus' name, amen.